Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community, where we focus on Magic Arena. Well, everyone, I've got a return guest to the podcast. Welcome back, Aiden. Thank you. You know what? I was looking at my records here, and it's been quite a while since you were last on the podcast, so I apologize that you haven't been on since February 2019. And I actually also noted that your episode released on February the 22nd, and pulling back the curtain, today is December the 22nd, so that was pretty much 10 months ago that your episode was on the podcast. Yep. In general, how has your 2019 magic um, magic life been? Uh, it's been pretty good. I made a new commander deck, and then I upgraded that commander deck. And I've also made a budget commander deck within that time. Hmm. Oh, good. Have you been giving commander more more of a shot than before? Uh, my play group like pretty much only plays commander, so they got me into commander, and I've just been getting a little bit more into it because of that. Mm-hmm. I think same here. My play group used to really be into modern, and then a couple of people started to. Uh, tried doing Commander, and then now everyone's doing Commander. So I was working on a Commander deck the other day as well. It's a mono-black deck focused on Ayara. Um, what's her name? Her full name, Ayara, something of Lachtwain. Uh, whenever a black creature enters the battlefield, all the opponents lose a life, and I gain a life. So it's kind of related to Aristocrats, kind of. So that's kind of the deck I've been playing with. What about yourself? What's, your, what's that Commander, one of the last Commanders you put together? Um, well, the last commander that I put together was Safara the Sky's Blade, and it's mm. essentially just like get creatures out as fast as possible and beat people down. <laughs> and it also has like a sort of small life gain theme to it that was completely unintentional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. When you've got that 7 7 and your other flyers are indestructible, you're really going to beat people up. Well, as we record the podcast, we've started to get some revelations of Theros Beyond Death, the latest uh, set that will be out. Um, Any general thoughts on the concept of Theros Beyond Death? Uh, I'm not really too big on that escape mechanic because it's... I like... I personally like graveyard decks, but I don't like the idea of exiling stuff from your graveyard as part of that recursion. Mm -hmm. So when you play with graveyards a little bit more, it's a little bit more straightforward in terms of like, you know, take something from your graveyard back onto the battlefield types of effects without extra costs. Yeah. I guess this is an example of Wizards like really putting a lot of flavor into things because I I never played during Theros block, but I kind of heard overall that Elspeth is a main character. And now if this is Theros beyond death, she's coming back. So, so let's make a mechanic called escape and we'll have things come back from the graveyard. So maybe they focused a little too much on the flavor than the actual mechanic. Do you think? Uh, no, because I, I still think you know, it's it's going to be a a powerful mechanic. Just it's depends on what cards they print with it. Like 
the Elspeth Sun's nemesis I don't see as being too good of a card because all of her abilities are down ticks mm-hmm. and they're not as good as the other Elspeths, but it de- depends on what other types of cards they make that has the escape mechanic. Yeah, I'm looking at that card, and it's interesting that the last version, or one of her last version versions was Elspeth, Sun's champion, and then after her betrayal in the story, now she's Sun's nemesis, so I kind of love that, like, story-wise, but yeah, card-wise, it doesn't seem that powerful, they're all negative abilities, the ultimate is a negative three, which is just five life, so unless you're running, like, a really strong life matters deck even the ultimate of negative three isn't that great it seems or the minus one which is just up to two target creatures you control get plus two plus one so if you're maybe doing some white weenie or some like little creature aggro maybe the minus one might be useful for about four turns or so yeah so there's another escape. There's a couple of escape cards that have been revealed so far. There's Underworld Rage Hound. So that's a 3 1. Uh, and it has to attack each, um, each turn. So it's already at a 3 1. It's going to get chumped block by something pretty weak and it's dead. But it can come back with escape. But if it escapes, it comes back with a plus 1 plus 1. So you get a 4 2. What do you think about that? As for being red, it's pretty good, but for it to escape, it is four mana and exiling three other cards, so I don't see it really doing too well. It's, well, it's also a common, so of course it's not going to be as <laughs> powerful as other cards as well. Yeah. Maybe in limited because, yeah, it's a common, it's a 3-1, it's got four more to escape plus exile three cards. So maybe if you're in limited and you suddenly have to um, bring it back because the game is running long, maybe that'll work. But for constructed, commander, anything like that, it just, that one seems really underpowered and overcosted. Now, what I do notice, it seems that the rules text of escape says you may cast this card from your graveyard for its escape cost. Now, does that mean that's an instant speed? So could that be escaped on the opponent's turn, or is that only as a sorcery speed? I don't know. I was reading about the new mechanics, but I don't think I went too far into depth to see if it allowed that. Yeah, oftentimes something with a colon uh, means that it is an activated ability. And here escape is technically defined as three red comma exile three other cards from your graveyard. That's it. You may cast this card from your graveyard for its escape cost. Just from the text that I'm reading there. For some reason, it makes me believe it's at sorcery speed, such as, you know, if you were going to summon a regular creature during your turn. So that's something interesting that I just noticed. So maybe we'll find the answer to that. But it seems like escape is only sorcery. Yeah, I'm looking at the mechanics that they wrote about right now. It says escape doesn't change when you can cast a spell. Instants with escape are good to go anytime. So I'm assuming that they're going to be making some instants with escapes in the future as well. Hmm, okay. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. So definitely you can only cast this Underworld Rage Hound as a regular creature or Elspeth as a regular uh, Planeswalker during your turn, but they might make some instants and sorceries to bring them back, so that'll be interesting. The other mechanic that returns is Constellation. So actually, let me back up here. Did you ever play during original Theros block? No, I did not. I got back in probably... I think Explorers of Ixalan was when I came back in Mm -hmm. or somewhere around there. Okay, that was... um probably like late 2017 or so. So I wasn't playing during Theros either, and I got back in like in 2017 or so as well. So Constellation is coming back in after reading it. Uh, It seems like it's prowess, but with enchantments. So whenever an enchantment enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one, plus one, or or do X or whatever. So I'm looking at Citizen Champion, the green rare that's been... Revealed. It's a 1-3 for 2 and a green with Constellation. So the more enchantments you you play, you get plus 1s, and you draw a card. So what do you think, in, what do you think about Constellation? I actually like that mechanic because the first commander deck that I got was Estrid, and it has, like, I think at least three Constellation cards on it. Mm-hmm. And also, I currently... I have a a new deck planned out that's like Enchantress draw deck with the, and I did put the uh, new Cetesian Champion in that deck. Mm-hmm. I kind of like enchantments also. I see that when I play, however, especially on Magic Arena, if I'm trying to uh, climb the ladder, I guess I don't do too many enchantments. But when I play casual or when I play commander, I like enchantments. Um, I've got this pretty fun Boros deck on Arena, which is historic because the the main pieces of it have rotated out. And this is placing enchantments on this, on this creature, on this red creature, that the more enchantments on it, the stronger it gets. And I've been able to get this little 1-1 creature to be like a 12-12 uh, with Menace when I place a lot of enchantments. So I like enchantments. I had a similar deck to that mm-hmm. where... It was, except it was a an is it deck that is based on playing champions on the champ enchantments on champion of flame or the uh, the keeper of Valduk whatever his name is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Val the, the Valduk guy. I had him on. Yeah, those are the names I was missing. Uh, champion of the flame, exactly. That's the one that I love putting the enchantments on and uh, keeper or champion or whatever his name is Valduk. Um, I like that. I like enchantment decks. Unfortunately, they can be a little fragile. You know, one murder or one kill spell on the creature, and then all of that house of cards of enchantments you've made uh, fall off. But this Satisan Champion, even if it gets murdered or whatever, uh, it lets you draw a card uh, once you cast that enchantment. Yeah. Now, the aesthetic of like the art of that card uh what do you think in terms of like the the art and the style of the cards that have been revealed so far there's some good arts from the for the new cards that have been revealed so far but there's but honestly i don't really like the 
revealed lands because it whenever i think lands i think like actual expanses of lands and not just like the symbols i think i agree on that because i've played magic for a while and it's always been a land you know just like you said we think of lands when we have a land card and here they've really abstracted it to the symbol now i do have to say i think the I think the concept I'm not loving, but I think the visuals I am, I kind of do like the stars and like swirling galaxy or whatever, you know, they call them the Nyx lands. So I guess they represent Nyx, which again, I'm not too up to date on, on all of the, the lore and such, but I kind of like how they look, but I don't like that they're lands, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, um, did you see also, though, that they are going to have regular old lands, actually, in the set? Yeah. The only thing with that is that those regular lands are going to be apparently in the Planeswalker decks. Mm. If you look at the card number, so like I'm looking at Forest, and it's number 346, uh, or 246, what is that, 286, 246? Uh, but the the regular land cards, they only go up to number 254. So these seem to be that if you want regular Theros lands, you're going to need to get a Planeswalker deck. Out of the, the two regular forest lands, which do you think you, you might go for? Looking at these, what I'm assuming that they did is one of them is the is like the normal world and then the other one is the underworld mm. and it's like i'm assuming that's showing the same places but in the di separate worlds mm -hmm. so i think that's like an interesting take on it mm -hmm. i like that uh i wonder if that's what they're going for but you can kind of see it in terms of one looks a little brighter, one looks a little darker. So that would be kind of cool if they did do that, like kind of like a before and after, not before and after exactly, but here's the the real world and here's the underworld and such. So I kind of like the island with the, with the really big chain. You get this sense of like, there's these gods and they tower above humanity and uh, these chains, whatever they mean, it's like a huge one right there in the water. And if you look closely, there's like smaller land masses and such, but that chain is just huge. Yeah. I like to play with a lot of uh, black uh, decks and I'm looking at the two swamps and I'm not loving either of them that much. I guess the underworld land of, of that I, I like a little better, but um with both of those swamps i don't i don't like i don't like i don't love them as much which of these lands might you put in some commander decks and such i don't know it's always hard for me to decide with lands and hmm. these these swamps remind me of the mirrodin lands mm -hmm. and i already have like a few mirrodin lands in most of my decks mm -hmm. i don't know the islands i usually have trouble with finding good island cards and these are fairly decent so i might end up putting one of them in one of my decks if i get any of them mm -hmm. do you have any preference for regular lands or like foil lands uh do you mean like set wise or just how they look 
from any set, but if they are foil versus non-foil? I don't really have a preference on set. I I like foil cards because I just like looking at them, but I probably won't won't really foil out a deck until at least I further down the line where I get where I have a steady job and have more money. Mm-hmm. And then you might not even have the deck finalized, so maybe getting some of these foils for the deck is premature and you decide to change the deck or move on to a different deck. So I, I don't do too much foiling of my decks either, but I do like putting like the perfect lands. And on some of my commander decks, I've got like the um, Hour of Devastation lands, the full art Hour of De- yeah. Devastation lands. I like those a lot. Yeah, I like to... I like to have each of the lands be different because I just like doing that since I have so many different um, pictures of so many different card arts of the lands. Mm. And I really should, for some of my decks, I should put some of the older land cards I have in them because I like some of the older borders. Mm Mm-hmm. Would you put any of the white border cards? I know sometimes people don't even like white border, but what about yourself? Kind of depends. There's, I have a holy day in one of my decks that's pretty much only white border that you could find. So on these, uh, these spoilers that we have so far, one has been revealed to be a saga. Last time we had sagas was in Dominaria. Do you remember liking the sagas in Dominaria? Uh, the only saga I really ever played was The Eldest Reborn. Hmm. And I have it in a Pioneer deck. Well, actually, it's in a Commander deck that I, I sometimes take out to play in my Pioneer deck, but we don't really play Pioneer anymore. Hmm. I mean, not Pioneer. Oathbreaker. Oh. The uh, Eldest Reborn is also one that I liked using a lot in multiplayer games, especially because I like to do things that affect everyone on the board. And so the Eldest uh, made people sacrifice a creature and discard a card, everyone on the battlefield. So I always kind of like those effects that affect everyone equally bad. The latest one that's coming out is the Acroan War. So it's a red one for mana. Um, and it's basically you gain control of an opponent's creature on the first chapter. And then on the second chapter, the opponent's creatures must attack. And then on the third chapter, all tapped creatures uh, basically hurt themselves. Uh, so I think that's kind of interesting. It's a very like red, chaotic, attacking, warlike type of saga. What do you think about this one, the Acroan War? Oh, I like it because I had plans to make a uh, a deck that's that was based around just everybody attacking as much as possible, <laughs> like forcing people to attack or or giving all creatures like double strike and (laughs) and i think this is a actually going to be a good card because not only does it 
give you a um, what's it called? A traitor's traitor's blood for four mana, which is a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. But then it also is a red removal spell, which there aren't too many good ones. Although it does force people to attack, so you will get hit at some point. But it'll mm-hmm. most likely wipe the entire board besides yours if you don't attack. And there might be that odd creature that has more toughness than power that that survives because it's going to hit itself, but it's going to be strong enough. So it'll mostly be a board wipe, most likely. And then, yeah, you just have to be careful that you don't tap your own stuff. One of the recent cards that I just saw today uh, is uh, part of, I guess it's part of the uh, Planeswalker decks. It's one of these blue ones, Serpent of Yawning Depths. So this is a big old six mana creature for a six, six. And it's uh, an enchantment creature, serpent. And the, the, uh, the text says krakens, leviathans, octopuses, which I thought the plural was octopi, but anyway, and serpents you control can't be blocked except for krakens, leviathans, octopi, and serpents. So it's, it's an unblockable creature unless the opponent has those kinds of creatures, which I think is really interesting and fun and weird. Yeah, that would, I, I know people who, who have like a, a seafood, seafood deck and <laughs> that just works really well with it. Although my usual problem with serpents is that they're usually not that good, but this is an actually good serpent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with the clause of semi-inblockability, I think that does make it better because uh, if an opponent had some kind of... Well, if you had a serpent, but then the opponent had a chump blocker, then you're done. But this one is just unblockable unless you've got your opponent also playing some seafood. The art I really like. It's like underneath the waves and there's a little boat right there. And who's ever in that boat is not in for a good time. This is an enchantment creature, so um, when I got back into magic and my opponent first played an enchantment creature, I I didn't get it. It's like it's a creature and an enchantment. How is that possible? So um, these are back. What do you think about that? Creatures that are enchantments as well as creatures at the same time. I usually usually like those because it gives you... They usually have like static effects that are helpful, although most of them have constellation or bestow. Mm. But I I do like the fact that there are they're make they make they have made creatures that aren't just base creature or legendary creature and they're branching out and making stuff that includes multiple card types Mm -hmm. for some reason i forgot that yeah the this goes towards constellation i guess because it's the second subtype where it's enchantment creature so i i don't know why i thought like creature is the main thing about it but this would also help a constellation deck and we've had very few cards as of this recording revealed 
and um, they'll probably put more support, more enchantment creatures and more enchantment removal. Back when I was playing Disenchant was the big uh, spell to remove a an artifact or enchantment, and they've brought it back. And now with a set that's really focused or that has a sub-focus on enchantment creatures, that removal is really going to be useful. So out of these cards that have been revealed, what do you think of some of the removal cards? I would say like one of them is Revoke Existence. Revoke Existence has already been, is like, is a reprint and I already have one of the original ones and it's, hmm. it's okay. It's, it's helpful in some decks, but it's, because it's a sorcery, it just slows it down a bit. Mm. I like the inevitable end because it has because it's enchantment, but you could put it on a creature in in like you could put it on their big creature, mm. and then if somebody wins their turn, they'll want to sacrifice a smaller creature. But then it stays on that big creature, so it, their next turn they'll have to sacrifice another creature unless they just sacrifice the big creature on the first mm -hmm. go around. Yeah, and it's slowly causing them to pick off their own creatures. I like that. I like this card as well. It's a very interesting removal. It's not direct, but it's up to the opponent, and eventually they... They, they're going to do it for you. So even if they cast something next turn, if this enchantment is still around, it it will kick in and have them remove their own stuff. I guess another removal card that's a little bit more direct is Meyer's Grasp. That's another enchantment uh, for one and a black, and that one does a minus three, minus three on a creature. So it's um, it's... It's definitely a more pushed version of the last one that we saw, where it was minus two, minus two for one black. Uh, that'll take out a lot of creatures or even weaken the stronger creatures for only two mana. Yep. So what else stands out to you in, in what's been revealed so far? Uh, I really like the uh, Ashiok Nightmare Muse. Because mm -hmm. it will definitely help in my in my control deck because it not only gives blockers but it also it also helps with removing the top cards of people's library so if they can say draw into something that will help them greatly i could it there's a chance that it'll be removed mm -hmm. i really like these little two three nightmare creatures you can build up a pretty good army of blockers, and I love that even just by blocking, the effect happens of, of, uh, of uh, you know milling those two cards off the top of the deck. So uh, it's cool that they didn't have that they didn't tack it onto only attacking or only doing combat damage. I see that a lot. That whatever happens when it's combat damage, but I like here that it's is simply just a block or a and a. Uh, an attack yeah do you think you'll get to that minus seven very often it is a control deck so i feel like i i could get to it pretty often 
but it also comes with do I want to use it and have a chance of putting it putting those um, cards into the graveyard and and risk it being recurred. Mm. I think that would fit also pretty well in my own Demir deck. I like doing hand disruption, library disruption, maybe throwing some counter spells for protection. And it's pretty cool that Ashiok themselves can protect themselves pretty well. Just by plus oneing, you get some blockers. It doesn't protect itself against flyers, but hopefully you've got some other spells to, to do that on the way to that minus seven, because that could be pretty impressive um, with all of those cards that got exiled, you know, uh, a, a, being a greedy Demir player, I, I really like that, and I really want to get to that uh, minus seven. Now, out of the two arts, which of those two arts do you like better? The, you know, quote, realistic one or the statue version? I only just saw the statue a few minutes ago when I was looking through it. I don't think I really like it that much. Mm-hmm. It's a little, it doesn't really fit her in my how does I just feel like it doesn't really fit the planeswalker. Mm-hmm. Well, this might be an example of wizards trying different things and based on our feedback, we might um, see something or not. Uh, I think it's interesting that it has, I guess, some sort of a maze in the background. So that definitely kind of feels like, you know, ancient Greek inspired mazes and such. And Theros is all about that, taking the real world Greek mythology to to the world of magic um, as a statue. Um, I think it looks looks a little awkward if it like really is a statue i think it looks a little awkward in the way the the skulls are kind of floating around kind of um and the whole thing is kind of monochromatic in terms of white but with a little bit of blue tones so i like i think i like the one with the like realistic depiction of ashiok versus the statue Uh, but i think the edge-to-edge art is pretty cool. What about that? At least the uh, without having the borders, it's the edge to edge art, whatever the official name of that is. Uh, I tend to like full card art, but it just doesn't really seem to fit for mm-hmm. for a Demir Planeswalker. It seems more like she should be blue white with the with the coloration and how some of the was it the aesthetics look? Mm. We'll see if any more of these styles are revealed. I don't know how many planeswalkers in total we'll get. Usually we get two to three in a regular set, plus the planeswalker decks. So we still might be in store for one or two more planeswalkers. And again, I don't know too much of the story, so I don't know who it could be. And I don't think they're doing anything with the Gatewatch at the moment. It seems like they're taking a break with them after War of the Spark because we didn't see any of the regular Planeswalkers in uh, Throne of Eldraine, I guess, except for Garrick, who hadn't been in the story for a little while. So if they were going to uh, bring in a member of the Gatewatch uh, at the moment for Theros Beyond Death, who do you think they might bring back? Uh, 
the one thing that I hear a lot of people talk about is that is Gideon be there's a, like a chance that Gideon will be the new white god, but who knows what they're going to do with that? Hmm. Oh yeah, because Gideon was originally from Theros, so we might see some version of him. Maybe, maybe not a car. Maybe not a character card or anything like that. But maybe some sort of spell. Um, because we had what was it? Heartwarming reunion. Heartwarming redemption. Yeah, the redemption one. So we might have something related to that in this set. So we'll see if Gideon mm-hmm. makes a return. Or maybe by his original name, Kytheon, we might see him that way. So another card that I like is Athreos Shroud Veiled. Uh, six casting cost, four, seven, God, indestructible. So I remember when I got back into magic and I was reading and seeing cards that said indestructible, I'm like, how could you even deal with that indestructible? But obviously you can exile, you can pacify it, you can do different things. But here we have a four, seven, indestructible. And it also has this mechanic that I didn't understand when I first saw it about devotion, that as long as you don't have a minimum devotion, it it's just an enchantment. It's not a creature. So as long as you have less than seven, black or white, it's just an enchantment. After that, you've got a four, seven, indestructible. Well, I guess the enchantment is also indestructible, right? If it's, if, if Athreos is still an enchantment, you haven't, you don't have the devotion. It's an enchantment and it still has indestructible. I think that makes sense. Yeah. It's just, it, it's essentially an enchantment. It has everything there, but it's not a creature unless the total number of mana. So, like, devotion is based off the mana cost. So, each time that both either a white or a black symbol cost appears in a card that's in play, that counts as one devotion. So. Mm-hmm. With Athreos in play, he gives himself two devotion. But everything else on the card is still there. It's just that he's not a creature until you get that devotion. Mm-hmm. And even when it's not a creature, it's got the clause about putting coin counters on any creatures. So you could put it on your opponent's creatures to eventually, you know, act of treason them or put it on your own creatures to eventually return them. So that's some cool recursion right there, very flavorful, putting the the coin token to like cross over to the underworld, I suppose. And then eventually when you've got the devotion, you've got a four seven. Now, do you think we'll only get the gods as multicolored or will we also get them as monocolored? I think they said that they're only going to be doing the monocolored one. It just said, Athreos was a, I want to say buy a box, but it may not have just been, it may have been something else that, that he was pretty much going to be the only multicolored god that they're releasing, unless they maybe release like one or two more. I thought that's interesting because we had a somewhat of a monocolor theme in Throne of Eldraine with so many cards that had adamant. 
and they were sort of like guiding you. Uh, you get something cool if you stick with mono color. So it would make sense that if you mix some Eldraine cards or, you know, cards in standard with um, Theros Beyond Death, you might be able to do Devotion a lot faster as well. Well, I guess um, maybe what's like a final card that, uh, that you've seen so far that you might like for a deck? Well, going back to the one, the cards that were spoiled, like before the leaked cards that came out way before the spoils, mm -hmm. there was one called, if I can find it, I think it's called Hydra's Growth or something where it was a three-man enchantment. Yeah, Hydra's Growth. Three main enchant creature, when it enters the battlefield, put a plus one plus one counter on enchanted creature. And at the beginning of your upkeep, double the number of plus one plus one counters on enchanted creature. If that's a real card, it's very tempting for me to get it because I've been tempted, very tempted to build a Skullbriar counter deck mm. and a like there's been so many times where i almost built it but i was like nah i won't do that <laughs> and if i do get that card i'd be very very i'd be really tempted to actually plan that out and build it it's definitely the kind of card that could get out of hand for your opponent uh, your little creatures become big creatures and keep getting big creatures. So if that's a real card, we'll see what happens. Now, the uh, previous uh, leaks uh, have been revealed, so most likely this one will as well. But it just kind of boggles my mind that, like, uh, how, however many boosters or whatever of, like, real cards ended up in a Walgreens somewhere and um like the set is fully fleshed out maybe floating out there somewhere in the wild so that's really interesting okay well i think the cards that we've got spoiled so far are pretty interesting and more revelations will be coming and more of the story and such um any final thoughts have you been keeping up maybe on any of the story and such i haven't really been looking into the new story i looked at the old story so i got so i looked at the essentially like a brief overview of what happened in the last time we were in theros but mm -hmm. besides that i haven't really looked at much i should go back and brush up on that story as well i was really into the story uh, when I got back into magic with Hour of Devastation, I went back and read a little bit of Amonkhet, and then I read the whole Hour of Devastation, and then I read Ixalan, Rivals of Ixalan. Um, but then I started to fall off of it when, uh, I guess, Corset... No, when Dominaria. Yeah, when Dominaria was out, and then I, uh, I didn't continue it really with with the Corset 2019. So I'm kind of catching up with the Corset 2019 story. I'm almost done with that, and I'm trying to catch up that way. I don't know if I'll go towards reading 
like the the books, the pay for books, especially the ones that have been out that people have not liked. I think I get a pretty good sense of that those are pretty bad stories. So I'll probably just stick to the ones that were published on the website. So I think there's some good things coming in the future of magic. And it's hard to believe it's already going to be the year 2020. And yeah. we're going to have 27 years of, uh, of magic cards and more to come. So wrapping up, I guess, everyone there listening to the podcast, you can find us on the Discord, chat with us, trade some deck techs or some cool cards or ask for help. There's a lot of uh, people that are pretty knowledgeable and friendly on our Discord. The link will be in the in the podcast notes. And I invite everyone to come and hang out with us there on the podcast. So Aiden, thank you so much for being the very last guest of 2019. Thanks for having me. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena. <laughs>